Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Hope everybody's having a great day, getting all your shit done, being 1% better like every day. My in-studio guest today is my good friend and hiking partner, Sam Turk. So Sam and I just got back from a little hiking trip up at Jewel Basin here in good old Montana. You want to explain a little bit? Uh, yeah, we, we just uh, traveled down to towards the Big Fork area. Took a nice long, I want to say, what was it? Ended up probably being about, yeah, four and a half miles, I would say. Yeah, a couple thousand foot elevation gain. And, of course, going back down. Way easier, dude. So I don't remember the trail we took, but we looked at the map right before we left, and we were like, okay, this this trail looks pretty good because we saw there was a lake next to it, and we're like, all right, doesn't look too bad. And at the fork in the road, we had to take a left, right? It was a left. So we took a left and did not realize it would be 100% uphill from there and not an easy uphill. That was a really good experience, though, followed by some really, really phenomenal views at the top. Oh, yeah, for sure. On the way up there, dude, there were probably, what, four or five places that we stopped that we just got sick views from. But I was a little disappointed when we got to the top. There wasn't, like, I expected us to get have to some lake. grand peak or yeah. something. Yeah, or have the lake that they said was on there. But uh, other than that, it was a great day of hiking. Really beautiful view at the top. Sat up there. Nice place for camping, which we will definitely do for sure. at some point. We were planning on camping. And then we're like, no, we'll just we'll just go take a nice hike, come back, record the podcast that night. Didn't end up even doing it last night. We de- when we got to the top, we were like, fuck, man. Should have just brought a tent with us and just pitched it right there. Because that was probably a perfect spot to camp. a beautiful camp. spot regardless of the bugs up there. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. We're going to plan a camping trip here coming up when I get back from Seattle. So after we went camping, we what park was that we stopped uh, at? Uh, Wayfair State Park. Wayfair State Park. We stopped there and did, I don't know if you could even consider it cliff jumping. It was Probably 15 feet. Yeah, little baby cliffs. But uh, that was fun. Good cool down after the long day. Uh, we went in like the middle of the day, like right when it was the hottest. But all good. Jumped in the Flathead River or Flat Flathead Lake. Lake, I believe. Yep. And that is the... Oh, I'm going to fuck this up. just natural freshwater lake this side of the Missouri. West, west of the Mississippi, west of the I believe. Mississippi, okay. Either way. Pretty big. Pretty big. But yeah, we stopped there. And jumped, and you were saying something on the hike down. You were saying, like, you didn't like your head being underwater, and that was because of other experiences. I don't know if it was near death, yeah, but I've, I've you had... I've had several uh, drowning experiences. To your bottom. Very close to drowning when I was little. Both times my parents saved me, which is uh, pretty frightening for me as a really young, like, eight, nine-year-olds. Consciously, does that affect you? Like you were saying, you don't like your head being underwater. Does that still affect your actions today? I don't think it would affect my actions, but it definitely affects me. I have to... It makes me nervous. Like, for instance, when I get ready to fucking jump underwater, no matter the situation, whether it's off a cliff or whether I'm just sliding into water. Right. And this situation, I like to think of myself as a person who's pretty good at controlling my uh, my physical tendencies. But this is one of those things that I usually have a hard time getting myself over, at least the first time. And then once yeah. I slide into the water, I get my head under, I'm usually pretty fast. That's what we were talking about yesterday before we jumped off. We were like, man, the hardest part of this is just getting the balls to yeah. do it. Like, you know, nothing's going to happen, but... So you obviously have a pretty great appreciation for the outdoors. On the way up, I was behind you pretty much the whole way, and I was <laughs> and just I was just watching you like just pick off berries sure. out of the brush and just eat them. And I was like, I would not do that. But you obviously have an understanding to an extent. You said you don't know a whole lot of plants, but you know more than the, the normal person, obviously. Yeah, growing up in this area with both my sister and my parents, me and my sister used to go on hikes all the time. We had several books that showed us which berries were safe to eat, which ones mm. weren't. Um, there was a couple when we were younger that we discovered, 
probably shouldn't have eaten, but we had no effects <laughs> at the time. So <laughs> here I am now. So well, you're still alive today, so you're obviously eating the right ones yesterday. When do you think your love for the nature first started to come out? Like, when did you really realize that you had a deep appreciation for nature in the outdoors? Probably, uh, probably some of my first years. I remember skiing. I was yeah? probably like five or six, and I was just like, I would usually be myself on the like ski lessons or whatever, just because I didn't really know anybody else in lessons and. Yeah, I didn't really like to meet new people when I was that young, and I would just look around me and I would realize, wow, this is such a cool area that I'm in. And obviously, when I'm like five or six or whatever, I don't really have the appreciation and the understanding for, it, but I still recognize that this is something that people over in China and people over in Italy and people wherever else really may not get to experience, and they may have their own equally awesome things, but this is really awesome for me and it's here for me to enjoy and use and get into whenever I can. I agree 100%. We're going to get into the uh, skiing and snowboarding later, but what is it about hiking and camping? Cause I know you do a lot of both. What is it that like really intrigues you about nature that like really just keeps bringing you back out there? Uh, that's a question. I'm not sure I have a clear answer to It's for me. I just find so much enjoyment in just submerging myself in nature, just being out there with the trees, whether it's, hacking down some sticks and making my own little place to stay overnight like or bushcrafting yeah bushcrafting for sure yeah, yeah, yeah i used to do a lot of that with my friends when we were younger oh really yeah that's cool i didn't know that. Into that whether it's that whether it's just tending out there or being on a kayak it's just so much fun to just be submerged in nature away from engines civilization away from, yeah civilization all yeah. the noise that we just become accustomed to you're right and i was kind of talking yesterday like the stillness of nature that's one of the things that I really enjoy about it because I'm big into like – I try to meditate pretty often. I think I was telling you about that. Um, and I find the easiest spot to do it is out in nature because all the living things, all the birds, all the trees, all the growth, everything out there is just really in the moment. When you stop and think about it, everything's super quiet. And like we were talking about that tree, it's been there for 150 years mm-hmm. just in that same spot unmoved, just growing to its beautiful outcome that it is now. And – that's really what I love about it, is just the stillness of it. It's a lot. E- it's really easy for me to go into nature and go for a hike like we did yesterday, and just forget about all your other problems or things going on outside because you're just you're in the moment when you're really Completely. in nature, and that's something I really really enjoy about nature. Completely. What do you get out of nature, and what do you think you give back to it, if anything? I I personally get a very very profound sense of peace. I get a piece of or a understanding of like. I like to give, think it gives me a sense of humility. Like, I am completely nothing next to this tree or next to this mountain who have been here for as long as I can even fathom. Right. As long as I can even understand, they'll continue to be there in that same spot forevermore, unless maybe the tree burns down or something. But even Let that, alone a natural disaster, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that's just been there for so long, and here I am just on Earth for a minuscule average of 83 years. Just a humbling feeling, yeah, you'd say. for sure. Yeah, I get the same thing, and like I was saying with that meditating thing, and I really just get a sense of connection to nature. Like I was saying, uh, when you go camping, I try to bring meats and just eat like as naturally as possible, meats and greens, and it really just, to me at least, I feel like I get a really good connection with nature, and really feel like it takes me back to like my human roots, your DNA makeup, and like what you're what you're biologically accustomed to, and what you want to do, and I just feel really, really attached to nature mm, completely. So I also want to talk to you about snowboarding a little bit. First things first, this one's a personal matter. I'm looking for a new snowboard, obviously, because I need a, need a better one in my second season. Do you have any recommendations for me? I would suggest Arbor. 
I know Libtex makes some really, really strong stuff. I've but, heard a lot of good things yeah. about Libtex. I was looking at a couple of those. Yeah, I personally am a fan of Arbor. Are you? I've, I've enjoyed their products. I have is your board now an Arbor board? It is, yeah. Nice. I've had two Arbor boards so far. I have an Arbor longboard currently. Just a really, really big fan of all the handcrafting they do, all the custom designs and styles that they do. Yeah. And again, all made by hand here in California. So Really? Not here in California, but Right, but USA. we're pretty close to California. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking at that or some Burton boards. I don't really necessarily know what I want. I definitely want like an all-terrain board, like a powder board, and one that I can bring out for those like icy days. But um, I also want a board that's gonna it's gonna be good in the park because I like to hit the park a lot. And then, like I said, just on those powdery, powdery days. LibTech makes some really really strong powder boards. But I'd suggest for a park, probably go with like a maybe a second board. That's what I'm looking at doing for really? park purposes. I might, yeah, I might keep my board now because I have a pretty much. Like, uh, I don't know what you call it, all-terrain. What do you call those? Mm, I would just call them all-terrain. All, I got yeah. an all-terrain, like, yeah. starter K2 board that's got a got a few few bumps and nicks in it. Yeah, it's got that's, some, that's good for learning on terrain parks, then. Yeah, so I'm thinking I might keep that one for the terrain park and just get something else for the powdery days. But for people that are just starting out on snowboarding or uh, are pretty new to it, what would, um, what would be some advice you'd give them? Like, what tips would you give them? Really cliche, but just don't give up. You're going to have these days where you just keep trying the same thing over and over, and every single time you go down, you're going to go on your toe edge, and you're going to fall, and you're going to bash your head, and it's going to feel like shit, yeah. and that's just going to keep happening every time, and you're going to want to stop. But that, those are the times when I personally find myself start to learning because I get sick of bashing my head each time, and I want to prevent that. So I learn what I'm doing wrong, and I do my best to prevent that in the future. So again, just don't give up. Don't be afraid to try new things. Within reason, you don't want to do a fucking 1080 off a cliff your first day. Right. But within reason, <laughs> take the runs that you can hit and uh, don't be afraid to push yourself. Just don't give up. Exactly. Whether you're tired or not, just keep going. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's uh, the tired one. That's something that's not always in your control, dude. Because I remember last last season, it would just like be towards the end of the day where you've just been fucking ripping all day long and your calves. Especially on those cat tracks, dude. Your my calves would just feel like they're about to fucking mm-hmm. fall off. But you're just like, if I stop now, I'm fucked in the middle of this cat track. Oh, for sure. So you just yeah. got to keep going. Um, I would say, just me personally, because this past season was my first season out, really snowboarding, like really getting after it and trying to improve my skill and get better. But focus on toe carves. I would say because your heel carves are fairly easy. That's usually the first thing that most people learn. I would assume. Mm-hmm. But I had the longest. It probably took me a couple weeks if not close to a month to learn toe carves just because i was so bad at them so i was like fuck mm-hmm. it i'm just gonna stick to my heel carves stay on this side of it stay on the right side because i always turn into the left and i would just say don't shy away from anything that you're bad at because you're gonna need to learn it eventually oh completely and toe carves are so essential and really doing anything besides bread sticking down the hill yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course it's scary to start your toe carves out because you can't you're not able to look where you're going truly really awkward you feeling yeah you can't tell like what your angle is so you might be falling and you don't even realize until it's too late to correct it so it, it just takes a lot of practice and a lot of commitment to just not giving up to that yep so really moral of the story don't give up yeah. just keep going back completely what's your favorite run on big mountain i know that's a Ooh. tough question because almost every run every spot i mean besides like just the the green circles or whatever but I would have to say uh, my favorite personally is going to be moose when they don't groom it 
Usually, I, fuck, I like moose a lot. Usually, too. when it's uh, ungroomed, there's some nice moguls. There's some really good powder. There's two or three cliffs you can get some nice sends off. Yeah. When you pass the cliff, there's a really, really good area through the trees that you can hook it through. So really, I really enjoy that area. <sighs> I'll be at a short run, but then you can just take chair five right back up and continue. Right. right. I would say that's like I said, that's a really tough question for me to answer. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would. Ooh, that's tough. Maybe gray wolf. Gray Wolf is just a because run. that's a classic run, dude. Run. And I didn't go one season or one day last season where I did not take Gray Wolf my very first run. Man, Gray Wolf, the first time you look at that thing, that fucking shrivels the balls right back inside you. Yeah, it does. It's a, dude. It's a little run, bit yeah. intimidating, especially when you're on that yeah. cat track and it's just like wall to the left and then fucking straight drop yeah, to the right. Completely. I had a couple times last season where I just got too ahead of myself or was just trying to go too fast around. Because you know that first curve? Mm-hmm. We go down like you just come oh, straight yeah. off the chair, then you're going down, and there's that little curve that takes you into the cat track. I get too much speed going down that almost every time and end up going straight. But that, like I said, every single time I went last season, Gray Wolf was my warm-up run, mm-hmm. and I just fell in love with that one. And then also, I think, what's it called? Oh, not Glory. Um, fuck, this is going to screw me up now. There is a run that has Glory in it. I'm not quite sure. Not Glory Hole. Not Glory Hole. Um Inspiration. Inspiration, Inspiration is a good run. And that is solely because my first Bluebird Day last season, like, you know, like the real Bluebird yeah. Days when the sky is completely clear, you can oh, see yeah. for miles, dude. It was out there on Inspiration, and it's like that, you know, when you're going, and then you, you're, I believe it's off chair one, correct? It is, yep. So you're at the summit, and then you go down um, past the summit house, like the yep. restaurant yep. and everything, and you're going that way, and you hang a right, and there's that first dip down, like that first pretty big mm-hmm. hill, and then you takes you to the left a little bit, and you go down another one. The very yeah. top of that second one was my favorite, dude, because I remember just sitting there on my flu- first Bluebird Day last season, just looking out over, I'm not sure what lake that view, is, yeah. but yeah. It's dude. Whitefish Lake, yeah. Whitefish it's such lake. an amazing, amazing view. You can just see like almost the entirety of the valley as long as the clouds and snow allow you to. Oh, it's yeah. It's really phenomenal to get there. In fact, I remember a couple times uh, last season, it was one day in specific, I was with Connor, and uh, we went down... It was another Bluebird day, like you mentioned. Missed it was just kid. really sunny. Really, really nice day. And we were going down Grey Wolf a couple times. And we uh, we kept hitting, like, the same area in Grey Wolf. And you know, like, right where the main part of Grey Wolf ends? And you hit this track, and it brings you back to the actual yep. run. Yep. And you can keep going down if you want. There's no, like, a... Are you talking about when you go down that it? first big hill, and you can either branch off to the left or just keep going yeah. straight past that sign? Yeah. That little pole? Okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, Connor and I didn't quite realize that the sign was there for a reason. And... Huh. uh we decided to go past because, I mean, it looked steep, and we went down, and we realized it just kind of plateaued out, and the yeah. run we were supposed to be on was, like, probably 200 feet this way, and we just had to pop our boards off and walk, like, and four foot it. of powder all the way back to the run. It was uh, it was an interesting experience. There was one run <laughs> that I had a similar experience to that. Me and my buddy Tyler, a couple of his, I think there was Russian friends that we went with one day, we decided to go on Flower Point on this day where it was just... Blizzard, absolute oh, yeah. blizzard, dude. It was fucking, it was pissing on us. And so we get there, and I don't know if you know, but there's a pretty decent cat track. I don't know specifically where in Flower Point we were, but there, we had to go across this cat track. And we had to get off because it was there was so much powder on it, and you don't get that much momentum. Mm-hmm. So we were like, fuck. So we had to unstrap and hike the rest of the way, and we were walking. And there had to have been at least 30-mile-an-hour winds, I would say. Oh, yeah. Just blasting in our face, like knocking us over because you got your board in your hand, too, and that catches wind. Mm-hmm. We just had to hike for probably 30 minutes just across this cat track. Oh, but. yeah. It's a, 
it's a good team building experience. I think really makes you grow. Oh yeah, to dude. With, but really makes you all head to weather at the what's same your, time. What's your What's your opinion on that? Do you like going by yourself more or with other people? Definitely with other people. If I'm by myself, I don't always go. Like if really? I if I'm with like friends, maybe make plans and they all cancel. It's just kind of me. I probably won't end up going. Really? I like to be by people, yeah. Because then I find if I'm just by myself, I don't usually push myself. I like to be with people that I'll push them and they'll push me equally in between. I agree with that for sure. But I also like those days. A lot of majority of my days last season was just me going up there by myself, and I really like it. Like I say, like you're saying, I really like going with other people because they push you, and it's like mm-hmm. a competition almost. But it's just all it's all fun. You're just improving, improving your skill, getting better every day. But I also like those days that I go by myself. And just put those headphones in, just vibe down the mountain, and you just not really worry about anything. You're going completely at your own pace, just really out there, just enjoying it. That's true. That's completely true. And I find when I'm in those moods and when I am listening to music, I can usually just end up pulling stuff that I could never normally oh, pull. Dude, in fact, I, I remember shred. last season, I was listening to music. I was by myself, and I nailed my first 360 just clean off this ramp. That, like, it yeah, was dude, I landed my first. It obviously was yeah. not clean, my first and only 360 I landed, but it was off. I believe it was off Grey Wolf again, where you come down the very end, and you, instead of going left, you remember, you know what I'm talking about? I instead do, of going yeah. left, you go yep. straight, and there's that little kicker right yeah. next to the tree. I landed my first 360 off that tree, yeah, and that was when good. I was by myself. Yeah. But, yeah, man, it's awesome up there. Um, so, snowboarding is, I find at least, like, a really spiritual experience for me. Like, I remember one day last season, um, I was sitting next to this reverend, this, like, priest that... Uh, he had been a priest for like 60-some years. And he just, <laughs> it was the funniest thing. He was probably pushing 70 years old on his skis. He comes up, and I'm, it was a fairly decent line, but for some reason I was getting on the lift by myself. And he literally comes up, cuts everybody, I literally everybody in the line, not giving a fuck, and just hops on with me. We had this like awesome conversation about life. When you get to the top, dude, it was another super clear day. And like, you know, when you look to the right, you can see almost every peak and oh, glacier. Yeah. You look straight ahead, you can see into Canada. And that those experiences for me are just what really makes snowboarding so lovable for yeah. me. That and then like I was saying yesterday, how brutal and magnificent you really realize nature is. Like when you're on that chairlift in a fucking blizzard, getting blown at, you're freezing your dick off and you're just like it is just me up this mountain and then you surf down it on a piece of wood or plastic, whatever it may be, and it just it really humbles you. And I feel it connects you to nature a lot more, too. Yeah, completely. And you realize, all right, for me at least, I realize how much like nature does not care about me. And nature does not oh, think yeah. of me the way I think of myself. I'm going to think of myself as like this awesome person. I'm going to have whatever vision I have for myself in my head, and whatever those around me have in their heads for me. But nature does not even recognize me as a speck. And those snows will blow right over me. And they'll continue to blow long after I'm gone. Yep, yep, that's a great point. Because a lot of people end up, what is it? Like I think it's like eleven people on average die a year on Big Mountain, something like that. Yeah. Something like that, and that's like uh, remember the the doctor yep. last summer he yep. or last winter he died on Flower Point I believe, and he was apparently a pretty experienced yeah. skier knew what he was doing but he just went out there. And I think he, he was went even out, more experienced doctor, yeah, yeah, and, a valuable person. Yep, and he went out without his beacon I think. Which, uh, yeah, I think he got separated from his friends. Oh, he sure. was with people. I thought he yeah. went out by himself and just didn't bring his. Beacon I'm not or quite something. sure the exact story now. Well, for I know he, that I know something went wrong. Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. Well, he ended up dead. Well, so yeah. <laughs> but uh, people don't know, a beacon, I believe, is like your radio transmitter. So, like, if you yep. do get lost, they can still track that signal mm-hmm. and find you. So he went out there without this on in a time period where it was snowing quite a bit, like dead of winter. Oh, it was a really bad blizzard that day. Yeah, and so he goes out there on Flower Point, I guess, loses his friends, doesn't have his beacon on him, and falls 
in a um a tree well. In a tree well, thank yeah. you. And these were apparently like twelve, thirteen foot tree wells. So yeah, for those who don't know, there. yeah, a tree well is where the uh, the normal snow level rises up around trees, and underneath the tree, the snow may look like the normal level, but because uh, the tree is just kind of supporting so much snow, the snow doesn't actually pack up. So you go in that area, and it's just like falling through water, and then you're just oh, yeah. trapped down there. You're slowly losing oxygen, and there's really no way to escape. It's yep. literally just like sitting at the bottom of a lake, just with no way to swim upwards and. No a lot of times, if you fall all. in wrong too, you won't know which way is oh, yeah. up or down because oh, you're completely. just complete. It's like it's getting, yeah, for sure. And it's like it's like being caught in an avalanche almost. Mm. You're completely covered in snow. So this guy goes out there, gets separated, doesn't have his beacon, falls in a tree well, twelve, thirteen foot tree well, and they didn't find him. They had no idea. There's millions of trees out oh, there, yeah. literally millions. So there's no telling where he could have been. And mm. I think they had to wait till spring for all the snow to thaw to find his mm-hmm. body, I'm pretty sure. Yep, I remember they recently found him. Oh, really? So recently? Ago, yeah. How recent? Uh, within the last two months, I believe. Wow. So. Wow, that's scary. Yep. That's scary. But um, I have a pretty not, obviously, that bad of a story, but this last winter I went up, and I've fallen in a couple tree wells, you know, because I'm still, still mm-hmm. learning. But um, I fell in this one, and it was a fairly small tree, so I was like, oh, I'll be straight. But I fell in it, like, upside down. So, like, my head oh, was yeah. towards the tree, but I wasn't, my face wasn't covered in snow. I was just kind of stuck. So I was like, all right, whatever. So I kind of rolled backwards, did, like, a backward tuck roll mm-hmm. kind of thing and got my bar- board up against the tree. Yeah. Tried to push myself out, which was good. Apparently, that's what you're supposed to do. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what you're supposed to do. So I thought that I could just push myself off, but I was didn't realize how far down I was, so I couldn't do that. So I just unstrapped my board real quick, threw it up there. And I was like, you know, this is a pretty small tree. This well cannot be that deep, right? Because I was already probably three, four feet down, yeah. like when I took my board off. So I was like, I'll just walk straight through it, you know, just walk straight out the other side. Wrong idea. <laughs> yeah, Bad decision. Completely. And yeah. I fucking sink probably another three feet. So yeah, I'm easily. Up, to my, up to my chin in snow. And if my buddy Tyler hadn't have been there, I would have been fucked. I had to, like, pull myself up, like, from tree branches, and he yep. had to just drag me out the rest of the way, yeah. so... Very scary situations. Situations like those, you usually want to hang onto your board, and you can almost use that as like a bar to rest against the snow and slowly inch yourself up right, on it. Right, kind of stick it in there yeah. and almost do a pull-up. But yeah, dude, tree wells are dangerous. They're not something to fuck around about. Always carry a whistle with you just in case, yeah. especially if you're out there by yourself. Yeah, always especially. do it with a partner when you can. But yep. If you're by yourself, you want to have some sort of a life-saving device. Uh, yeah, I connected a whistle to my zipper. Because I would zip it all the way up. And so, like, even if your arms are stuck, you can't use your hands. You can still get down there and blow that. So definitely always keep a whistle on you. Always keep pokers, shovels, a beacon on you if you're going to go backcountry. And make sure you let people know where you're going. Oh, completely. That's the biggest Snowboarding is fun, but it is dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Um, So from what I understand, you are a black belt in Taekwondo, and you're training up at Big Sky? Correct. Correct? Big Sky Martial Arts. So, um... What age did you really start? Uh, I started when I was uh, 12 years old. 12? Yep. Really? 12 years old, yep. I started kickboxing when I was 4 years old wow. until 8 years old, and then I quit and then got back into it when I was about 16, started training uh, mixed martial arts again, and then up until now. Yeah. So that's cool. I think when you start young in mixed martial arts, obviously the earlier you learn anything, the better. Mm-hmm. But especially with combat sports and a thing like kickboxing, and especially taekwondo, where you have to have a lot of hip movement. 
when you're young, your muscles aren't completely formed and your bones aren't completely formed. So you can really get those movements down a lot better than most people, and it becomes muscle memory. That's so true. I see that in a lot of our younger classes I help teach occasionally. Right. Our little kids, they they don't even like realize how good their form is when exactly, they're actually dude. doing it right when they commit to it. They can throw some really good stuff out there on the track. Yeah, yeah, I love watching little kids and helping little kids get better, giving them any tips you can, especially ones that listen. No, and they're like, you can tell they like really enjoy it, and they're going to – be going somewhere also on the flip side though you see or at least i see we have a lot of little kids and they're only there because their parents want them to be there and as soon as they reach an age where their parents will start listening to them they just drop away and you never ever see them again right that's, that's not really to sad see to see yeah but, but i also think we're gonna get into this a little bit here in a minute but um i think it's good for all kids to be in mixed martial arts i mean obviously if you don't want to do something the kid doesn't want to do it you shouldn't make him do it but it's just good to learn basic self-defense i would think for anybody i would agree yeah so so are you? Would you say? So you said you started when you were twelve, and I know you're talking about moving. You're wanting to get out of Taekwondo because you're like tired of. I don't know if you necessarily said the politics in it, but uh, not quite the politics. Just the the belt the system. The nature of no, the nature of Taekwondo itself. It's like a very point oriented system. So there's uh-huh. a lot of restrictions. Almost all your strikes are going to be with your legs. You have to make contact from the ankle below on certain areas of the body. Right. And for me, at least, that gets very boring. The rules are in my opinion, fairly constricting, and I can't always throw stuff that I would like to throw. And so I'd like to get into a sport that kind of more reflects me as a person, that I can just more freestyle in instead of just being restricted to the use of my legs and occasionally my hands. So with that being said, would you say you're still as passionate about Taekwondo or just combat, combat sports in general as you were when you first started? Or first I would really say loving yes, it? if not more. That's that's exactly I've, I yeah. Say, since I started Taekwondo, I've really, really gained an appreciation for so many athletes out there, what they put themselves to every day, and I strive to be able to do that myself. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially um, just the older I get, the more I realize the lessons it's teaching me. Not necessarily in fighting itself or training, but just outside of that, the lessons you can pull away, the discipline, the mentality, the confidence, everything you get from it. I think I think it's just great, mm-hmm. and I love every aspect about it. And like you're saying. The older I get, the more deeper I get into it. I just love it more and more every day. And completely. And one thing my Taekwondo instructor is, he's he's a phenomenal martial arts teacher. He has a 7th degree black belt in Taekwondo. Really? He has a black belt in Judo, black belt in Hapkido. But he, ever how good he is at teaching martial arts, he's even better at teaching just like ways of living and discipline. And in fact, uh, before every class, he has a certain code. He has this recite about courtesy and just integrity in general, moral mm-hmm. integrity. And uh in all reality, in my opinion, it gets a little old reciting that after a while. But every time I realize, hey, this is kind of old, I would just look back on it and I realize, wait, what am I actually saying here? Do I actually believe what I'm saying? Because this is a really good code he has set out, mm-hmm. and I should do my best to follow this. Every and there's day. a reason he's making you yeah, say it every morning. Yeah. Yep. So this kind of that kind of transitions into this what you were saying earlier. But what is the next discipline you think you want to pick up? I know we've talked about this off air a little bit, but the next discipline I want to pick up—that's mm, a good question. You said something about you want to train with him. There's a guy named Jesse Oud. Jesse Oud, yeah. Jesse Oud. He's he, a really good boxer here in the Flathead Valley. He's in charge of uh, Hard Knocks Boxing. Hosts a lot of uh, competitive martial arts events. Mm-hmm. Looking into that, I would like to start getting some uh, more hand-to-hand combat. I've always been kind of restricted to the kicks for actual competing. Of course, we do practice judo and occasionally some hop kudo in class, but never actually have competitions for that so i would really like to get into some more mma style fighting so you're thinking you still want to stick with striking or you think you're gonna transition into some wrestling i think i will stick with striking wrestling doesn't appeal too much to me some grappling is interesting but 
not as much as striking. That's how I started out, and I think it's probably both. We have a similar thing. We started out young, so it flows so natural. And I just striking is just my fucking passion, dude. I love striking. But um, once I started, like, here since I got to Montana, it's really becoming uh, mixed martial arts oriented for me rather than I was doing a lot of just stand-up and kickboxing and Muay Thai and Taekwondo a little bit. But now, like, I'm going to want to compete here in a couple months coming up. I'm training for that. So I really got to work on my ground game and get confident with that, which it was. I was coming from your perspective. I was not super interested in the ground game. Um, obviously I had respect for it. I have deep respect for any discipline like that, but I wasn't, it wasn't really calling my name, but I did a handful of no, nogi, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes. You never heard of nogi? I've I've heard of BJJ, if that's the same thing as Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's what it stands for. But yeah, nogi, which is just, um, for people that don't know a gi is that white suit and pants and belt you put on. And so I did a handful of nogi classes and it was like, it was all right, but I just recently started doing gi classes. I'm a white belt, don't even have my first stripe yet, so I'm fucking horrible at it. But, dude, every day, it's just, I'm really falling in love with the gi. Every day, you just notice that much more improvement. And like I say like I say all the time, 1% better every day, but it really shows when you're doing gi BJJ, mm-hmm. which I'm sure it does in any any other discipline as well. I think I really uh, started to have an appreciation for MMA and started to want to make that my passion when uh one of my former instructors, his name is Taylor Reed. He added his third degree black belt in Taekwondo. He uh he did an MMA fight here at the Majestic Valley Arena in the Fire oh, yeah. Valley. Yeah, and it was a phenomenal fight to watch. And they uh, started out. Kinda... Do you remember who he was fighting? I could look up the video and I could tell you. It's okay. uh it's on YouTube. It's a really really cool fight. And I want to say he lost that video, but or he lost that fight. But uh it was it was a really good experience for me. It kind of directed me towards what I want to do. Start out with some. Stand up work, start out with some kicks, start out with some punches, then went into the ground when the other player realized that Taylor was really good at his stand up work. Yeah. Probably not as strong at the groundwork. So that's something I'd I'd like to work on. I'd like to get my stand up work better. Probably touching my groundwork, but I really want to get into MMA overall. So Definitely, definitely. So we kinda touched on this a little bit as well, but what do you like really love about combat sports? I love competition in general, no matter what it is. So whether it's a video game, whether it's just snowboarding next to somebody that started out learning to snowboard at the same time as me, whether it's MMA, whatever it is, I strive to be better than whoever I'm against. And to a certain extent, I let that get in my way. I let that freeze me. Mm-hmm. And that's something I need to work on personally. But I just strive to be better than everybody I'm with. And I like to improve myself the best I can. So MMA is a really, and Taekwondo is a really, really good outlet for that. It's something that I'm passionate about. I like hitting stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a good. It's a good outlet for me, I guess. So you, so more, more or less, the competition aspect of it. Me yeah. too. Um, the weird thing about that with me is I am really not that competitive. Like I am, obviously, I played soccer for a long time. I played other sports, but um, it's not like um, if I lose, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. It's not lose mm-hmm. or die for me, except in mixed martial arts. That's the one thing that the competition does drive me because I do have a natural skill in it, and it's something that I have shown myself that I can improve in. So every single day, I just want to beat that next person, just beat him to the punch just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And that competition really keeps bringing me back and intriguing me. And like I was saying earlier, just the overall um, discipline you get out of it and all the other attributes you get, you gain and take away in your outside life as well. And also just the consequences are so grave in mixed martial arts. People say, say this about every sport, but mixed martial arts is really the most advanced 
form of chess there is. It really and you're is. Putting it's all your mental. Bodies, yep, it's all mental. Well, a lot of it. They say it's ninety percent mental, ten percent mm-hmm. physical, which is yeah, it's all pretty mental. close, yeah. dude. That's <laughs> but um, obviously you have to be in a place where you can uh, you can train every day, and you have to mentally. I this is why I say it's all mental is because. Whatever physical shape you're in, if you have the right mentality, you can go from being a fucking circle to having a six-pack and being the fittest guy on the planet if you have the right mentality. About right. It. So that's why I say it's all mental because obviously you have the mental aspect when you're fighting the other opponent and you have to just think around them, bait them in, and then strike. You have all that mental aspect and you also have the mental aspect of driving yourself every single day to get yourself into a better and better place to go fight that next fight. That's exactly what I was going to say and a lot of people don't really realize this, but when you have to train every day and something is brutal – as mixed martial arts or any combat sport for that matter, you day in and day out, you're pu- you're putting your body out there. You're putting your body on the line, making those sacrifices that could potentially be for the rest of your life. But that's, I think, what really shows the passion of mixed martial artists and combat sport athletes is that they go out there every single day and put their bodies on the line. Like, put your brains on the line. You're getting hit in the head, risk of concussion. That's about the biggest price you can pay is getting a really bad concussion or getting too many concussions and being screwed for the rest of your life. But that's just the risk us as mixed martial artists take because we're so passionate about it. Mm, Completely. And it's something that I'll happily continue to make for quite a while in my life. Me too. Me too. Would you, for some reason this is a controversial question, and people disagree with me, but would you put your kids in any combat sport? Oh, completely. Thank you. I I think it's a very, very valuable experience, be it just learning the core life values like integrity and uh, self-improvement to learning the everyday fighting skills, learning how to punch, learning how to kick, just having that satisfaction of, depending on which sport, maybe breaking your own board, maybe beating your first, op- first opponent in a fight. Mm-hmm. Just both the satisfaction, the respect you gain for yourself and those around you. Confidence. And just learning the learning the necessary skills you need to be able to uphold yourself as a good human being. I, keep, I, I agree with you 100%. But I keep going back to confidence and I think this is a really important thing, at least for me, that I've really gotten out of mixed martial arts, and everybody else that I've talked to has agreed. The confidence you gain is not necessarily confidence in your fighting ability and your capability to um, beat a majority of civilians in some sort of, yeah. some sort of <laughs> uh, contact sport or hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. But the confidence that you get, it's really a lifestyle because you're training all the time. You have this confidence in your skill – but you also just – I feel like that gives you confidence in yourself too because it shows you that you can be disciplined. You can learn these things. You can improve. And the lifestyle part I say about it is I don't know if you'll agree with this, but this is how I feel and a lot of other fighters I've talked to feel. When you're – say you're out at a restaurant, you're always thinking if something goes down, if somebody walks in there, I'm going to – I'm the one that has the responsibility to do that. 100%. And I that's – I feel like something – not necessarily. I don't want to use the term a chip on your shoulder that fighters carry, but just that um, that everyday thinking is just like that's just the lifestyle that you get from that is just always having that mindset of like I'm I have the responsibility to do this and feel confident in that. No, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've pulled out of mixed martial arts that I think is great for kids to learn. And unless, like we were saying, the kid really does not want to do it and just shows zero interest. Pull them out, but I think it's good for any kid to at least try it. Like we're saying, get the discipline, get the self-improvement, everything else you gain from it, and learn 
basic hand-to-hand combat or self-defense. And of course, and even if my kid does show zero interest, at some point I will pull him out. But I want him to know how to defend himself. I don't want him to be completely helpless if his schoolyard bully comes up and starts beating the shit out of him exactly. for wanting his lunch money or whatever. So. I would not want my kids to compete, though. Mm. I, I, would let, I would let them make that decision once they're Of course, they're yeah, I age. would too. But yeah. I, starting them out, starting them out I would no, hope no. that this is not going to be your career. But, I mean, like you're saying, if that was them and they had, if that's their choice and what they wanted to do and showed they had the skill and discipline and determination to do it, I wouldn't stop them. I would do my best to teach them the responsibilities and the consequences of what their actions are going to cause. That's well said, the consequences. Yeah. And then uh, once I fully realize that, if they still have a desire to do that and it's not just a rash desire, then I would encourage that. So I guess let's wrap it up on that note. We've been going for a little while now. Sam, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I am Justin Million. My guest today was Sam Turk. Please like, subscribe, share, and give feedback. And have a great rest of your day, guys. Thanks.